Well, day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 2nd of October, 2022. Uh, my name's Matt, and it's great that you're tuning in with us today. Friends, hear these words of scripture from Esther chapter 13 as we come to focus on the Lord. It says, The Lord is the King who rules over all things. The universe is in his power, and there is no one who can oppose him. He has made heaven and earth, and he is Lord of all. Well, he is, he is Lord indeed. And so we go to a time of praise now. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, rejoice. Jesus, the Savior, reigns, the God of truth and love. Stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, Rejoice again, I 
Well, as we come to hear from God's word, let me pray. Loving Father, your love for us surpasses all our hopes and desires. Lord, forgive us our failings. Keep us in your peace and lead us in the way of salvation. Father, we pray that you would grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today, uh, our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 55, and that's verses 9 to 11. Our psalm for today is Psalm 145, verses 1 through to 8. And our New Testament reading that I'll share with us from in a moment is from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'll invite you now to pause the video, take a moment and have a read of those passages, especially the Acts one. Have a read of it with whoever you're watching with. Uh, and in a moment, we'll come back and I'll share with us from that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we spend time wrestling with your word now, I pray that you would speak to us, uh, that you would show us a glimpse of what you are doing and that you would speak into our hearts and lives, that we would respond in the way that we need to uh, with all praise and reverence, Father. Amen. What now? Uh, we all have times in our lives that we might class as what now kind of moments. Uh, something big has changed. There's excitement. Uh, you're not exactly sure what the future will look like, but you're excited for it nonetheless. There are times in life when we uh, feel like we're venturing into something new. You might even utter at those moments these words, what now? Uh, perhaps for you that was graduating high school. I know that was the case for me, for sure. Uh, moving to a new town, uh, a new place, new people. What now? What's the new norm? When you're newly married, uh, when you start a new job, or when you finish working, when you retire, what now? There's that inward excitement and wondering, uh, eagerly awaiting for the new reality to set in. Now, two weeks ago, uh, we were in the book of Acts and we heard Peter's first sermon. Uh, he points his people uh, to Jesus. He points not his people, he points the Jewish people rather to Jesus as God's appointed king and savior. And as a result, in verse 41, we see that the author, Luke, he tells us 3,000 people committed their lives to Jesus that day. This is massive, right? One speech, 3,000 people give their lives to him. That's a lot of people. Certainly a lot more than the 120 people we saw back at the start of chapter 1. No, that number is now multiplied by a factor of 25. This is not just a room full of people. This is growing to be a massive community, right? And so we might ask, for all these 3,000 that all of a sudden gave their lives to Jesus, what now? Well, in the last six verses of chapter 2, we move from the first Christian sermon to see a picture of the first Christian church. We get to be a fly on the wall for that day, or well, not that day, but that moment. And we see what God, what, what Jesus has done among them. And what we see is that Jesus has created a spirit-filled community with new norms and new relationships. We see what it meant for them after giving their lives to Jesus. Now, I'm aware that for some people watching that you won't have taken that step yet. You won't have actually committed your life to Jesus. And that's okay. Welcome. It's great that you're tuning in. 
But for those of you who have given your life to Jesus, I wonder if you can remember what it was like when you made that decision. Perhaps for you, there was that kind of what now moment. Well, here, Luke wants you to be a fly on the wall and see what it meant for these new Christians. He wants to show us what their community and their gatherings looked like. And I think he wants us to be challenged as well by their zeal and their passion. Now, this is all part of Luke's orderly account of what happened in Christian history. Part of what Jesus is continuing to do in and through the world by his Holy Spirit. And like most of Acts, uh, we're not being directly called to emulate, to do what we're seeing here. No, like the coming of the Holy Spirit in the tongues of uh, the tongues and speaking languages in Acts 2, the start of chapter 2, this isn't prescriptive, telling us what we need to do and should expect. No, this is descriptive, telling us what they did. And so it's not prescriptive, yet as we keep reading through the rest of the New Testament, the apostles hold up the elements of what we see going on here as essentials for any Christian community. And I'll highlight some of those as we go along the way. But this is good for us to see. It's good for us to glimpse this spirit-filled community that Jesus has made with its new norms and new relationships. And so, what now? 3,000 people have given their lives to Jesus. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Right, they devoted themselves to these things. Devoted. Devoted, I think it's a pretty strong word. I think if we consider our own lives, there's probably not too many things that we would say we are actually devoted to. Maybe my family and my marriage, work for some people. Eh, I like fishing on holidays. I'm not devoted to it. And devoted is about being single-minded. Uh, and this is how Luke describes these, these new Christians. They're devoting themselves to these things. Now, 40, verse 42, this is the key verse for this section. And the next five verses basically unpack and fill out this picture for us. Now, if you've got a copy of the outline, you'll see that we're going to keep coming back to verse 42 as we deal with each of these things. And as we go through, we'll see from these verses how Jesus has formed a learning church, a loving church, a worshipping church, and a witnessing church. Four points. And so the first of these. Here, these new, new Christians, we see that Jesus has formed a learning church. Firstly, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're sitting, listening, learning from these guys. Well, who are the apostles, you might be asking? Well, Luke is talking, Luke, the people Luke's talking about are those who Jesus has appointed specifically as witnesses of the good news of his life, death, and resurrection, and the implications of it. Uh, they're the eyewitnesses of Jesus' own ministry. They'd heard him speak. And after, after Jesus came back, after his resurrection, they were given an important role in salvation history. And let me read a, a verse from the end of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Matthew 28. In fact, a couple of verses here. From verse 16, he says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Verse 18 then Jesus came to them and said, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what what was the apostles teaching? Like Peter's sermon above, the apostles' teaching is Jesus' teaching. Their teaching shows how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that God is doing in and through the Old Testament. It's a call for people to put their faith in Jesus. And their teaching spells out then what it means to live with Jesus as their Lord. Well, why do people listen to the apostles? Well, because Jesus, rather God, gave them his stamp of approval. Uh, The teaching and authority of the apostles, it was authenticated by miracles. Have a look at verse 43 with me. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I will think about that a bit more next week, and so I won't go into it too much. But I will say that these signs performed link them conclusively to Jesus. These things showed that their words carried authority. And as we see in Acts, uh, some of these miracles are actually captured in Scripture for us to see. But it's not just the mir- their miracles that are captured for us, no. It's also their teaching. Their teaching is passed down through the words of the Bible. And since we have the authoritative teaching captured on the pages of Scripture for us, we too are able to be learning Christians, a learning church, if you will, are devoting ourselves to their witness of Jesus too. Now, in case you've ever wondered uh, why we have the books in the New Testament that we do have and the books and letters, it's because these are either the direct words of these apostles or of others who are associated and corroborated by them, like Paul, like Luke here. What we have in front of us are God's authoritative words about Jesus. Uh, Have a listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. See that? Not a human word. This is the word of God passed down. And then in 2 Timothy 3, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, what I want you to see here is that the Christian faith is not a faith where people trust in Jesus and then put their fingers in their ears, right? No, it's, it's not something where we go, faith in Jesus, tick, moving on, what's the next thing? No. I've spoken to people. In fact, I've invited someone to read the Bible with me once who, who said, I know it all. And I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? He said, oh, I know it all. I've, I've read the Bible. I know what it says. I said, really? Well, I've been studying the Bible. And in fact, I've been studying the Bible at Bible college for many years. And I still haven't got there yet. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. And in fact, Every time I dive into the Bible, 
I continually discover just how wonderfully deep the riches of God's words really are. And my appreciation of him and, and what he's been doing through history only widens every time I come to it. At the end of his letter, uh, Peter, the same Peter who Luke speaks about here and who, who preaches, Peter calls Christian readers at the end of his second letter to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is what Christians do. We grow. We learn about God and his love for us even more deeply. Now God equipped them and us with the authoritative words of the apostles so that Christians through the ages can be a learning and growing church in our relationship with him. But for these new Christians... Uh, this step and, and change in their lives wasn't just about the vertical relationship between them and God. No, it was also about the horizontal relationship with one another. Jesus hadn't only formed a learning church. He'd also formed a loving church, point two. And so again, we come back to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, Fellowship's a fairly general word, and the sense of it is that there is a common sharing with other people. It's a relationship word. And for Christians, there's two sides of fellowship here. Uh, first, of all, first of all, fellowship expresses what we share in together. Uh, Christians share in a relationship with God. Through faith in Jesus' death for us, we become united to him together. And so first of all, Fellowship is what we share in. But secondly, fellowship is what we share out, if you will. And so we jump down to verses 44 and 45, and we see what this looks like in practice. Verse 44, he says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, this isn't a blind rushing out to get rid of everything like like personal possessions are somehow evil. No, we see in the, the context of this at the very end of verse 45 there, it's to anyone who had need. There are needs in the Christian community. Uh, believers' uh, financial problems don't disappear when they come to trust in Jesus. Just as today, back then, people come into hard times. And we know that well, institutionalized persecution was right around the corner. We might say right around the chapter. Uh, people lost their jobs, their homes, even their families. But the interesting thing here is that what we see is that the church, these Christians, they view all believers like family. And healthy families take care of their own. And what I think is remarkable as well is that they're not just giving up income for this. They're actually selling off capital for the sake of their needy brother. And now, some of us at this point might feel relieved that uh, I said earlier, what we're reading is descriptive and not prescriptive for us. And yes, we also do well to notice that what's described is a voluntary sharing. It's not done by compulsion. But at the same time, we can't forget that for example, John, as he, uh, one, of the, one of the apostles that is, as he writes in his first letter, says that sharing with other Christians in these real practical ways 
is just a basic response to experiencing God's love for ourselves. 1 John chapter 3, 17. If anyone has material possessions, he says, and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Friends, do we have the zeal for loving and looking after one another like these new Christians did? There's no room for selfishness in the Christian life. Seeing the generosity of God uh, poured out through Jesus should captivate our hearts so that we respond likewise. We look both to the needs of those around us immediately, but also to the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters worldwide. Uh, it brings joy to the heart. As I walk in the church hall here at Inverell Anglican and see on the wall a whole list of, of ch children being sponsored by com uh, through compassion by members of our church. Being sponsored out of poverty and given the opportunity to know and respond to Jesus. Now this isn't the only way, obviously, that we, that we enact what we're seeing here. This is just one uh, example of a response, uh, an expression of a loving Christian community. The picture here is of people who give up of themselves for the sake of others. And how could we not live that out too, knowing what Jesus has given up for us? And so we see here that Jesus has created a spirit-filled community that's, that's a learning church, that's a loving church, but also, third point, he's formed a worshipping church. Uh, what are the last two things we see that the Christians are devoting themselves to in chapter, in verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Well, you might ask, what does Jesus, what does Luke rather mean by breaking of bread? Or we might be tempted to quickly jump to the idea of communion. It means communion, right? Well, while Luke does use this phrase uh, back in Luke 20, back in chapter 22 of his gospel to describe what Jesus does leading into the Last Supper, we see that actually elsewhere he uses the term breaking bread at multiple points to describe what happens before any kind of meal. You break bread, then you eat dinner. Right? Like in verse 46. But you ask, did they also celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper? Probably, at the same time, probably. But either way, verse 46 tells us that eating together was a time of gladness and praising God for them. Now, since God has sent his son into the world, and he's now sent his spirit, they had plenty of reasons to be joyful. And so do we. Uh, every worship service should be a joyful celebration and remembrance of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. Singing at church, for us, it should be an expression of, an expression of joy that wells up out of our hearts. And you notice here that the praising of God, it, it doesn't just happen in, uh, it's not just restricted to public gatherings, no, no, it happens in our homes as well. And so maybe this, this should be a challenge for us. How do we go at praising God in our homes? How can we be praising God in our homes more, perhaps? These are people of praise. Now, the other thing that they're devoted to, we saw, the last one, in, chapter, in verse 42, 
is they are devoted to prayer. Now in the original, it literally says that they devoted themselves to the prayers, right? And so it's probably both formal communal prayers as well as the, the personal ones. Uh, in Ephesians 6.18, Paul encourages us to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And so here's another challenge to our lives. Are we as zealous for prayer as these new Christian converts are here in Acts 2? As they eat, pray and praise God together, this prototype church should be a great encouragement for us. It should push us to, to also be a worshipping people. And we shouldn't miss that this happens both in the public and private. Uh, I think this passage, it, uh, it hits two traps that people can fall into. To those who by habit consign uh, God and worship simply to uh, what happens on Sunday at church for them. Paul says that worship needs to be an all of life thing. Right in Romans 12 verse 1 he says, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And on the other hand, to those who think that gathering at church, it's just an optional extra for the Christian life. Well, the writer to Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so what we have here, is a picture of a church, a gathering of Christians, that's not only learning together and loving one another, but they're also worshipping together in every sphere of life. And this all flows out from verse 42, what we see there. But before we finish, we shouldn't, finally, we shouldn't miss the very last line, the second half of verse 47. It's a line that captures the overall focus of Luke's narrative, one that's all about how Jesus is at work by his spirit, achieving God's plan to gather people to himself from all nations. And so the final point, Jesus has also formed a witnessing church. Verse 47, the, end, the last line, he says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, three quick things from this. Uh, first of all, it's the Lord himself who's doing this work. And he does it through people, like Peter and others. But it's not just through the apostles, no. As we keep reading through the New Testament, as we keep reading through Acts even, we see that this is what all Christians are called and actually take part in. And those first Jerusalem Christians weren't so preoccupi preoccupied with uh, learning, with loving and worshipping, that they neglected then witnessing. The Lord did it. Secondly, the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord added people daily. Uh, the early church, church's evangelism wasn't just kind of sporadic and uh, occasional. No, just as worship was a daily activity, so for them then was witness. And finally, what Jesus does here is two things. He added to their number and those that were added, he also saved. He didn't save them without adding them to the church. 
and he didn't add them to the church without first saving them. This isn't just any community. This is a community of people who have responded to Peter's sermon in the middle half, in the middle of their last chapter. They've responded to the fact that the God who sent Jesus is the God who made heaven and earth. He's the God who made us, who knows us, who loves us. And he takes our rejection and our apathy toward him seriously. And we know how serious it is because it took the death of his son, Jesus, to make that broken relationship right again. Jesus' death in our place means that we don't need to have sin separate us from God anymore. Jesus offers us relationship again with the one who made us. And it, it is a genuine offer. Luke doesn't want you to see this prototype church and at the end of chapter 2 and say, hey, that looks like a good community to be a part of. No, no, he wants you to be so captivated by God's love and mercy that you come to him to find new life. And when we have fellowship with God, then you can see and understand this beautiful picture of fellowship that these new Christians share at the end of Acts 2. I was was chatting to someone earlier in the week who had been reading this part of Acts 2. And this person said to me, isn't this just a truly beautiful picture of what Christian churches can be like? They said, at times I think we're guilty of losing our zeal, but these new Christians had a relationship with Jesus and they were experiencing the world in a new way for the first time. 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. And we might rightly ask, what now? What we see here in Acts 2, in these new Christians, I think, should be both an encouragement and a reminder to us. In the emerging Christian community of Acts 2, we see so much zeal and passion. And it expresses itself in a devotion to learning from Jesus through the words of the apostles. A devotion to loving and spending time with one another genuinely. A devotion to worship. And a devotion to witness to the good news of Jesus. So that others might find new life in him. And what happens? Verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Friends, what a magnificent picture. And what wonderful news. And what a wonderful thing that we can be a part of. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this picture of the this prototype church we see in Acts 2 here. Father, help us to be, to be captivated by your love so much that we can't help but desire to have a deeper relationship with you and learn more of you. That we can't help but love one another sincerely from the deepest part of our heart in response to your love. To be captivated by your love so much that we spend our lives praising you uh, both personally but also together with one another and be so captivated by your love that we can't help but speak of the good news of jesus that we have been that we have heard as well father and we pray that these things will be marks of our life and marks of our church even father and we ask this in the name of our lord jesus christ amen well we go now to another time of praise
Friends, we come now to a time of prayer, and uh, in a moment, uh, the video will pause, and there'll be a blue screen that comes up with a whole bunch of prayer points on it. And so, I'll invite you at that moment to pause uh, to be praying. There's some suggested prayer points there. Uh, there's plenty of other things in the life of church, in the life of our community, and I'm sure in your lives as well uh, that you can be praying for and giving thanks for. Uh, and do pray out of what we've been looking at today in Acts two, also. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, giving thanks for uh, what God has given us. Uh, we normally have an offertory hymn in our church services. And so I want to return thanks to God for his generosity to us. Uh, then I'll invite you to pause and pray, and then we'll go to a time of praise again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your uh, generosity to us that we see clearly in your son, Jesus. Uh, Father, help us to respond by worshipping you with all of our lives with our prayers, with our, our singing, with our hands, uh, in the way that we relate to others, and with our wallets as well. Uh, Father, thank you that you have uh, given to us so that we can give back to you. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, as money comes in through the week, 
that as a church we would use it wisely and for the growth of your kingdom uh, so that people are served and that people are built up in the name of Jesus. And we pray this in, G in his name. Amen. Please pray.
Let me encourage you with these words at the end of Jude as we finish our time. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. Well, friends, have a great week. And we look forward to you tuning in or joining with us in person next week. See you then.